So, colleagues, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's a really, um, it's a, it's a really good turnout. We have had over a hundred responses, and I think you can see that there are probably about a hundred of us online. Um, we, we in South Africa are in um, a state of lockdown, as I suppose half the world is in. And um, two weeks ago, when we thought of putting this webinar together, we thought that it would be really useful to almost, in a sense, as we've been seeing on social media, get a bit of a letter from the future. Um, because China and Italy are a little bit ahead of us in terms of what they've been doing in response to the pandemic. And I know that um, with in the audience today, um, there are predominantly South Africans from a number of universities, um, educators from both school and university. Um, but we've also got um, some members of a, a bigger international audience. So Chris has told me that there are people from Germany and from China. And so welcome to all of you. And I hope you will um, enter into this conversation with us in the spirit of let's learn together. Um, in one sense, we are ourselves having an exercise in remote learning. Um, certainly most of us have kind of accelerated our knowledge around what it means to use Zoom and Skype and video and, and uh, tools in a way that we haven't done at this rate before. Um, and I think that's really important. We also asked many of you as you RSVP to the seminar to give us a sense of what are the things that are on your mind? What are the questions that you want to ask? And so we've got a whole lot of questions that have come through um, um, through email. And basically the big issue in South Africa is how do, we uh, how do we deal with the huge levels of inequality, digital inequality, educational inequality in this time of crisis? We've been dealing with it for many, many years since democracy and, and before, um, but now it's become a, a huge area of focus because for many people, lockdown is, has meant going home to a beautiful home that is safe and that is filled with technology and to learn remotely. And for probably half to three quarters of our country, going home has been going to a place where um, you are in a cramped quarters, where you don't have internet access, where you hardly have data, when you're, you, you aren't being fed because school is that you get a meal, um, and there are issues around gender-based violence in the home, um, and, and if you get sick, not the same kind of health care that you might have um, as a middle-class South Africa or um, somewhere else in the world. So issues of inequality are really important for people as they've been speaking and asking questions. So what we've done today is we've asked our four panelists to tell us a little bit about their own context and what um, the experiences of their institution has been in responding to the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and then we've we want to ask them to speak about how remote learning has been effective um, and how it compares to learning in a classroom setting. Um, what lessons could they share with us that would be appropriate for South Africa's context? And maybe people, when we, when we, when we spoke a few days ago, um, it's possible that people don't really know South Africa's context as well as they know their own. And so maybe you just want to hear about lessons from your own context. 
um, but keep on this issue of inequality um, as, we, as, as you speak. Um, and then what is your thoughts on the new normal? You know, how is remote learning going to be uh, different in the future? In one sense, this coronavirus pandemic offers us an opportunity to fast track some of the things that we've been just dabbling in in the, um, in the past. And so those are the four questions that we've um, asked our four speakers to discuss. And then um, Chris Chetty, um, who gave some protocol, is a colleague. HSRC. So I didn't. I haven't introduced myself. Um, I'm the executive uh, of a program called Inclusive Economic Development at the Human Sciences Research Council. Our focus is on both economics and education, um, and um, we are a team of researchers looking at how we really advise government on uh, processes and protocols and policies in order to. Um, uh, diminish the inequality in our country, um, heighten educational quality, and improve access and participation in the economy um, for South Africa. So that's who I am. Um, Krish, um, who you've met just briefly giving us some of the protocol, um, is a researcher in that unit, um, Krish Chetty. And then our four speakers um, is uh, Joshua Cobb. Um, so Josh is the Vice Dean of Zhejiang International Business School in, I can't, I can't pronounce Zhangzhou in China, <laughs> I'm sure you'll help me there, Josh. Um, but welcome and um, yeah, we look at your input. And then we've got uh, Paula Motta, who's a um, architect and a member of the European Institute of Political, Economic and Social Studies and works with Krish on the BRICS um, work um, the, uh, around the world. Um, then Professor Peter Herman is a research fellow at the Human Rights Center um, in Central South University in Changshi, but um, so between Germany and China, is a sociologist at the University of Bologna um, in Italy um, and works with me um, in the research committee on the sociology of youth. So I'm really delighted to be able to welcome these four colleagues um, and I'm going to ask them to kick off and give us um, just a, a glimpse of their experiences um, and that of the institution in responding to the coronavirus. And Josh, if I could ask you to kick off, that'd be great. Thank you very much. Sure, thank you very much, Charlene. Hello, everyone. Pleasure, pleasure to be here uh, this morning for you. I think um, in thinking about uh, coronavirus, one of the things that comes to mind to me is how much diversity of is around, um, around the virus. I mean, everyone has individual stories of themselves, their family, their organizations, their country. So I, th I think the way that we have all experienced and that we're all dealing with at the China experience, um, this this might seem a little bit um, a little bit particular, but one one of the defining characteristics, in particular, uh, in education, was that Corona hit us in the middle of Chinese New Year, the Spring Festival, which meant that all of our um, campuses were closed. We didn't have anyone on campus. And I think that 
in many ways defined a lot of how we in China had to deal with um, the virus. We didn't have to worry about students in their dorms and what we were going to do with them. Um, we didn't have to worry about moving people around. Everyone was already off campus. So now the challenge that, that, that we're facing is going to be, right, how do we get everyone, everyone back on campus? And we, we think that this is going to happen in three, about three weeks. They're talking about opening um, education uh, institutions again. So I think that was one part of the, the defining moments um, for us in, in China in, in, the, um, in the virus. Um, in our particular situation, Zhejiang University, now we've got about 55,000 students. And our spring semester in the middle of February opened 100% remotely. I think what was really surprising is how quickly we were able in China to move to accepting uh, virtual learning, remote learning, because the um, China is not very developed in online learning, in particular in higher education. We've got a lot of you know the MOOC space, the individual online learning is developed, but in the university setting, we're at a very relatively early stage. Um, I was personally very amazed at how quickly the university moved, not only to Zhang University, but across the country to move online, given um, overall um, hesitance about online learning and higher education. And I think looking at the future, I'm hopeful that this is going to be a real, give a real push, a real boost to online learning, to technology-enabled learning in the higher education space. So those are those are my two cents worth, just as, as means of an introduction of our of our particular context here. Um, thank you very much, Josh. Um, Paolo, could we ask for your thoughts about your experiences of um, your institution? Yeah. Well, good morning to everyone. Uh, well. Uh, as we were talking with Chris, uh, when we saw one month ago or two months ago, we were already thinking about uh, strong changes in uh, our world, about uh, homeworking, about e-learning and all that, thinking that this would be a very slow process, going, ongoing. And this crisis made, boom, it arrived completely. And I would say, the opposite of what was saying Josh, uh, the rest of the world was not ready so much like were the Chinese. In, in my country, in Italy, it was have a programs of e-learning and homeworking uh, that uh, from long time. I would say homeworking is uh, working quite good because people were trained, prepared like that. E-learning has a big uh, problem: inequalities, like you said, Charlene. We have inequalities between uh, regions, between uh, families who have one computer, two computers, tablet, or those who have nothing. Uh, in Italy, we have an average of about uh, 75 percent of the young people um, at school who has access at least to one computer but uh, this is uh, mostly in the high school or secondary school or university very lower on the first uh, classes and depending from regions uh, some regions north like milan or where it is all the they have it higher 
and uh, instead in, in South Italy is much less. And at the same time, we see inequalities among all European uh, uh, countries. Because if you think that in Sweden, well, there are just six million people, but one uh, boy, one pupil is going to the school, he is getting together with the books, or any more, not, not the books, he's getting, he's getting a personal computer. So they all, all train it, all prepared like that. And if we were thinking uh, in a general way that new technologies would help to, to develop uh, another way of living, I, I am uh, uh, thinking now that this was, uh, we were coming out from this with very strong inequalities. Because, uh, well, if you're seeing between uh, uh, different income families, those who have a big house that they can have isolation or lockdown, they can have their own room, they can work, we are working, and it's not changing too much. But I think those who are living with five children all together in one small house with only one computer or one tablet or like that. So is everything very, very difficult. But uh, at the same time, we have the problem in Italy, I don't know how it's in other countries, that we have no enough uh, prepared, uh, skilled uh, teaching, uh, um, uh, teaching staff, because uh, mostly of the teachers, especially on the uh, first classes, they're still un unable, and they're not trained to use good the technologies. So this is um, something that is coming out, like a very big, big gap, but is depending, uh, as I would say, is a part of the bigger problem of social inequalities. So the, we will have, uh, at the end of this, two types of citizens, those who can make intellectual home working and they will have their own wages, and instead uh, people who is making labor, who are forced to go to work, to commute, to move, and like that. And uh, so I think one of the first steps to do, like we were saying, in theory, now have to do it practically, is to jump to the technological gap. And China is showing that they have been not prepare, preparing, but they were prepared. As Josh was saying, I was reading figures, the numbers they have, they are incredible. They were ready, ready. So ready to shift. So I think that we have to review very much uh, our engagement and we have to spend much more money in training and in uh, uh, providing uh, equipments to, to everyone, to, to everyone. Okay. Thanks, Paolo. I mean, it's really interesting because what you're telling us is that there are inequalities in the context in which you are from, um, but for us in South Africa, the inequalities are not between how many laptops per household, but whether we have laptops at all or internet at all. Um, and so it is the differences of margins of, of, of um, access. Ilaria, could I jump to you and um, ask you to tell us about your experiences of, of teaching um, at the University of Bologna? You've been offline and at home for, what, three or four weeks already? Uh, three weeks and a half now. So, okay. uh, so yeah, uh, as Charlene was saying, I teach at the University of Bologna, which is in the north part of Italy. So, as Paolo was uh, saying, uh, we are in one of the richest uh, region in Italy. Uh, the University of Bologna is a huge university, so we have 90,000 students divided into four campuses and is the second biggest university in the country. So it was quite a challenge to, um, to deal with the corona crisis. 
coronavirus crisis. Uh, following the request of the regional government, my institution decided to close the university uh, as soon as um, the, the virus started to spread in the northern part of the region. So we started the teaching directly online. I can hear a return. There's a and so probably there's no one uh, could open because I can hear myself speaking. But um, anyway, uh, so since the beginning of the um, of the crisis, uh, the university has engaged in a like broad strategy to deal with the problems of the of the crisis and it went pretty uh, good on some level then uh, i will return later on the problematic uh, stuff so on the one on the first level there was online teaching and as i was saying we started directly with online teaching with a new semester and uh, overall it went pretty well surprisingly well considering that most of us these didn't had any kind of experience with uh, remote learning before the coronavirus crisis and by the end of the second week the 100% of the courses of the university of bologna were uh, open and as a platform uh, just to say we uh, use at microsoft teams which turned on to be pretty stable, more than other platforms used by other universities. So just to note. And then uh, uh, next to, and I think uh, these activities are as much as important as the online uh, learning, the university has started two other kind of strategy. One is about community building activities. Um, so the University of Bologna has always been uh, quite a strong community uh, with a high sense of belonging measured amongst the students and the teacher. Uh, but um, there, there, there will be a need to maintain this, especially when social uh, distancing uh, will be enacted for a long time. Otherwise, you lose the connection between the students and the institution, which um, is crucial in this period to assure um, yeah, people to live with the, I mean, to, to go through this experience. And so we, uh, there has been an effort in terms of creating blogs online where professors and students can speak about the experience of the quarantine and share their stories. Then there has also been some moment of leisure. So also the sport, the gym of the university have provided some courses online to um, keep on with a sort of normality, sort of. And then finally, the third level of activity is about support activities to students, uh, which include technical supports uh, with the distribution of SIM cards to students who didn't have an internet connection um, or a Wi-Fi. Uh, and also economic and psychological support uh, which seems to be very appreciated by the students. Yeah, I can return on this point, but this is more or less the overall strategy of the university. 
Laura, just one question. Um, you told me that initially when the, when the students were sent home, you were required to go into the university to do your remote teaching from the university rather than for you to do it from home before there was a generalized lockdown. What was behind that thinking? Um, was that about trust? Was that about um, access to equipment? What was your university thinking about making sure that the faculty came to work, although the students had been dispersed? So I think it was all about the mixed signal and the mixed reaction that we had at the beginning of the crisis. So I, so the crisis in Italy started to spread in January. I mean, started arrived in January when two Chinese tourists were found positive in Rome. But these cases were really well ended, and I think that. Uh, brought us to underestimate the virus later. So when the real uh, spreading happened in the middle of February, uh, we get for the first week, first week and a half, very mixed signals. So one day was like a flu, the day after was a nightmare, the day after again was a flu again. And so the, <laughs> the university just started to, yeah, gave these mixed um yeah, signal also in the policies. So the students were uh, not—I mean—were not allowed to enter the university premises, but the staff was asked to go to the university premises to teach at least for the first week and a half, and then we were asked to teach from home. So you went to a university classroom. You sat in an empty classroom yeah. and spoke to your computer and yeah. broadcast to your students. Yeah. Okay. So that also brings about this issue of trust. You know, uh, to what extent do our superiors trust us to teach from home? Uh, to what extent can they control whether we are in class, whether students are in class, those kinds of issues. So those are going to be important things for us to draw lessons from. Um, Peter, if I could turn to you, could you give us some of your insights from your context um, in China? But I know that you also have experience in Germany and, and elsewhere. Well, I can try. Uh, thanks very much for giving me the opportunity. Uh, the problem I think we have in China uh, is, uh, Josh mentioned it uh, in, in the chat room, uh, his university is uh, on the East Coast, which is developed, uh, highly developed. This is, I think, uh, a, a general problem. We made huge progress in terms of uh, opening the education. And I would say, Within the educational system, if you are in it, if you are in these these parts of the of, of China, uh, there is no problem of inequality really. Uh, then you have the other problem, and this is an ongoing problem. Uh, we we have inequality in China. The rural areas are underdeveloped, uh, and there, as I said in the beginning, we made huge in, uh, progress over the last years which is amazing, and this is what we have to go, where we, where we have to go on. Uh, meaning we have to look at the, at the general economic side as well, and at the ways of opening the system for more people. Uh, now, another political issue, uh, which I think is important, um, it had been said uh, in, in one of the pre-questions, uh, pre uh, it's not about Europe or any other countries, country coming to teach South Africa. We are all in a situation, that's my experience, where we are uh, exploring new fields, 
there are some people, individuals who may have uh, huge experience it, but I think the problem is really uh, the technology and then how to use it. Because teaching online is not the same teaching as it is. Um, it's, it's not just continuing traditional teaching with, with a video and, and a recorder. It's a completely new challenge and this is what we have to face. And this is where I think we all do not have really sufficient experience that we can say, okay, we know and we will teach you, we will tell you. Uh, and I think in, in my experience or in my view, I, I have been teaching uh, earlier on um, online or, or yeah, e-teaching e in China um, at another university. The one thing is you have the technical equipment. The other is really to get people participating. And there is something which I think is interesting that you have now the opportunity really to develop uh, a more participatory approach that links to the situation, to the experience people have in their communities, in their cities, in their countries. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit of paradox, and this is a little bit of uh, a uh, 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 danger as well, that on the one hand you have the commodification, further commodification um, of uh, education, you do mass education. With Zoom, I heard recently a meeting with 10,000 people or something, so you can do it. And everybody gets the same information and everybody gets the same. But education is not about information. Education is about something completely different and this is what we have to use. And I think what we can use to link and say, this is what you have, the opportunities you have look at this, try and we will help you as teachers, we will try to help you analyze local conditions and then analyze uh, ways or making uh, together, finding ways of uh, how to utilize it to improve your own situation. It's not about joining, simply joining the global uh, economy, but it is about looking at your own opportunities, looking at your own realm and take it from there. Uh, I think uh, from my experience, there are really in, in the technical, on, on the technical side, there are the two ways, the opportunities and the just the, the further communication. And this is what we have to, to face as well as challenge of uh, how do we get out of this uh, trend, the general push. Now we have uh, actually cheap courses, we can use the internet, everybody is at home. In China, it is not... In China, it is uh, the, the internet access is not a problem if you are within a certain area. Um, Internet, as Josh said, it's, it's very cheap, it's very accessible, and kind of everybody has it. Um, the problem is how to make use of out of it, and the problem is how to avoid individualization. 
this is, I think, a major problem. Uh, you are, you, you have the tools, you have it all. Uh, what's the name? Uh, 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 mouse click away or something. Today it's a finger click away. A finger click away. Uh, it is trying to uh, establish communities. You have the chat rooms. You have all this with these uh, with the software. And at the same time, we should not overestimate, and this is a thing I'm currently actually, I'm, I'm in Germany, I cannot uh, return to, to, uh, to China at the moment. And looking at the situation here, it is not as good as it seems to be from outside. Germany, a rich country, everything is fine. Uh, students at the university to which I, am, uh, I have a link, students do not have internet access different to china and i'm, I'm talking not to, about uh, students not about somebody who, who is not studying at all or, or whatsoever so this is a huge problem uh, you have a, a, a program from the central government to get money to set up um, e-learning facilities the program the administration, the application is so complicated that in some of the counties only 1% of the money is actually spent. Now it's a complicated thing why this is not more, but I think this is as well something in terms of the administration of universities, of teaching institutions and of governments. Make money available, this is important, but make it available uh, in a simple way without huge administrative uh, effort, without huge differentiation, who gets it, uh, who, who doesn't get it. Uh, now I come to, to a final point I want to make now uh, at the moment. Europe. Europe has this huge divide. Uh, we have the discussion these days of, uh, of euro bonds or co uh, corona bonds that actually the rich countries would support uh, the poor countries, that uh, Italy can get money, uh, for instance, from Germany. There's a huge debate. There is a, a reluctance to support within Europe uh, other countries. And I think this is something where help is possible as well. Think about um, uh, I, I just said uh, Corona Africa bonds, just the name. Think about how to support money in terms of uh, uh, debt relief. This is something where, where I think it is important, where uh, especially Europe is in a position uh, they, they have to take the responsibility in this situation because it is a global issue. It is not a local issue and as long as we try uh, to develop local strategies, uh, we are doomed to fail. I'll, I'll leave it there. Great, thank you very much, Peter. So the chat room has been um, kind of going pretty crazy with questions around what kind of access people um, were we're having and so Josh was saying that in China it seems to be a lot of mobile phones almost exclusively 
Um, Paolo and Ilaria in, in Italy, is it more laptops or is it mobile phones? And then the issue around how the university or the institution accommodated um, people's um, lack of access. So, Laurie, you were saying that uh, the university made sure that there were SIM cards, but what about actual computers? In the South African context, uh, a lot of university students don't have their own equipment. They rely on um, the computer lab at the university on campus. Um, certainly for kids at school, it's almost, you know, it, um, it's almost universally that uh, primary school kids don't have their own laptops or phones. Um, certainly in our uh, um, yeah, for, for most of, of South Africans, there will be a small percentage uh, yeah, for most of, South of young people who would have that. So how does teaching happen in that context? And um, what, what, what are your thoughts on this new normal about, you know, what place is there for um, online teaching, remote teaching uh, going forward? Um, let's say we are post the coronavirus crisis. What are your thoughts around what could happen, both in your context and when you think about the South African context? Um, Josh, do you want to give it a bash? I, I mean, I think uh, maybe first to echo something that um, Peter brought up. Um, I think there's a difference between virtual learning and technology-enabled learning. I think what we move to very quickly globally is virtual learning. We basically said, how do we teach through some of these platforms and bring the classroom experience to people, to, to students? I think the real challenge is how do we use the increasing depth of tools and technology to go beyond that, to go to the point where AI adaptive learning, virtual reality, is creating a better learning environment than the traditional learning environment. And by better, I mean one that is more adapted to the individual, where the individual is able to engage with fellow students and faculty throughout the learning experience. One of the things, um, again, Peter, Peter referenced, a paradox in participation. Um, in a classic learning environment, everyone is sitting around the room and they're focused in the front of the room. In, when you take that into a technology-enabled environment, people are communicating horizontally. So even looking at this chat environment, someone is speaking, but everyone is talking to each other. Um, so there's much more exchange during some kind of learning experience than there may be in a traditional classroom environment. What I would like to see in China, and I see this as an opportunity to move away from a traditionally passive learning environment, learning culture, where the student culture absorbs you know, this sort of one-way direction where the technology can let that individual actually be engaged with the instructor and with their fellow students and much more engaged in the learning experience. So I think the technology piece is really going to be quite significant uh, for China in changing the way we learn. But I think that's also going to be felt, to be felt globally. Yeah, that's a great, great point, um, Josh. Um, Paula? 
Paolo, are you still there? Paolo needs to unmute. Sure, yeah. No, I will ah. say that um, it was very, very, I'm sharing completely what they're saying, Josh and Peter, uh, about the, uh, the uh, need of changing completely the way of approaching to the uh, way of giving uh, lessons. Yes, because now everyone is uh, interchanging each other. You take now all the young people, they are uh, chatting each other and exchanging transversal information. It's not anymore the teacher and the students. So this is a strong uh, change that maybe the um, students are ready, but the teaching, uh, the teaching staff is not yet because they are all grown up the traditional way of, uh, of teaching. So this is something that has to be a, a prepared and uh, developed. So I think we, we need to renew completely the traditional way of teaching. From the, the I, I'm not a technical on this side, so I don't know if a mobile phone is enough to learn and to teach. But if it is like that, let's say that now everyone, almost everyone in Europe at least, all the young people that have a mobile, a mobile phone, they have access to that. And from the point of internet, yes, when I was in South Africa, they told me the internet costs they were very high. And in Europe, no, the costs are not so high. And uh, in, since uh, almost 10 years ago, Europe was starting a program to cover free internet all around the, the, the countries, the member countries, uh, is not going so fast like it was expected. But I think in a few years, uh, free internet will be almost every place. So the problem is really the attitude that I mean is arrive at us very fast. We were all driving to this thinking maybe 10 years or 20 years from now. This is arriving completely at the same time and is involving not only the teaching, but I would say all the uh, activities, all the working activities. So uh, I think is is an opportunity to make really a big effort all together. And like Peter was saying, it's not depending on a high income country like we were thinking Germany is uh, should be perfect or North Italy would be good. But everyone we have troubles. Look now what is going now with the virus in America has been proving of being a giant uh, made of, uh, of uh, with, with the legs that are not staying up. So I think it is a complete, I think this coronavirus, I don't know how it started like that, but it seems like it is really something arrived at to make us rethink completely all the, the, the approach to development. Uh, think on the, in relation of the climate change, for example. If you take now satellite photos, smog has disappeared, waters are clean. Uh, I feel birds singing all around that before they were not. So it is really mm, uh, a need, uh, a completely uh, overall uh, change that is not uh, engaging only the teaching or the learning, but should be uh, modifying our way. I'm a planner and uh, we have been uh, promoting this. So one of the most important things is that one to uh, ensure internet access all around, not only these big cities or smart cities, but everywhere, every place around, it is starting, was starting already, a return to uh, rural areas or to smaller uh, cities. And this is a movement I was uh, hearing now in these days in Spain, 
and it was the lack of technology that was avoiding uh, people to settle in um, in a better way. If we use this, these technologies properly, I think we can find a different way of living that it doesn't mean we have to live alone because we need to socialize, we need to meet other people physically, we need to interchange, but we can reduce a lot of uh, unnecessary spending and a lot of unnecessary movings, and we can uh, look to another model of uh, general development. So I think, well, teaching and the, the learning is one of the first steps to do because education is the basis of every development. And so I think a lot of money has, been, uh, has to be devoted to uh, cover the inequalities. Inequalities between territories, between uh, communities, between countries, and between uh, everything. So I think okay. it's a priority for the next years. But it will take time because from the technological point of view, you can give the phone to everyone, you can produce, I don't know how this is coming, the money, but you can do it. What is difficult is to train, is to train uh, uh, and to be trained. So this, I think, yeah. is the biggest force. So thank you, Pato. And I think the, the point that you also make that uh, the, the, the crisis has kind of given us a leap forward, and now we've got to think about what we keep when we have a new normal, which we hope will be, you know, a year or two, uh, we, we, we can't really make a prediction. Um, but also the fact that um, what, what will happen is the, the countries that have perhaps lagged behind don't have to first go through all the stages. They can actually leap from what they have to new technologies, to new ways of learning. And that's very exciting. And that we're all looking forward to. Uh, look, I, I would like to answer you immediately because uh, I have been uh, living many years in, in, the, in um, projects in uh, countries of South America. And meanwhile, in Europe, we were starting to go up from the electricity, then the phone, the computer and like that. I have been seeing there in the 90s, before to make a phone call, I had to go to a place, we had a radio, and we were, hello, hello, and after five years, everyone who was horse riding, the cowboys or the gauchos, hello, ma'am, how are you? So this is a big uh, opportunity for also countries who are emerging yeah. to change we the model and yeah. to go faster. We don't have to go from a pigeon carrier through a telephone. We can go straight to 5G. Yeah, okay. I think it was happening in China. <laughs> Thank you, Paolo. Ilaria, the one thing that you mentioned um, earlier was um, the fact that your university didn't just think about um, uh, delivering content. They thought about what it meant to be a community. And so you spoke about gym and, uh, you know, online phys physical education. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if there was any socializing, any um, music or cultural um, issues. Um, and one of the questions that people, somebody's asking on the chat room is, what are the behavioral adjustments that teaching staff had to adapt to? So that's one question. But also say some more about the creating community in a university through the distance learning, remote learning. Um, and then other thoughts that you might have around uh, where we take this virtual learning, remote learning um, after the crisis. Uh, so, um, okay, let I try to uh, 
answer all your questions. So um, I will start from, uh, um, let's say, discussing how the teaching experience has changed because of the um, online uh, online learning. So uh, if on the one side it has been very effective in promoting social distancing, um, there is for sure there has been a big adjustment in the way we need to uh, we need to teach um, so and i think bologna because i started amongst the first university in italy to implement online learning has gone through uh, all the also the mistakes uh, in this process which i think we should learn from uh, so um, we started to do online learning uh, thinking this is going to be just for two weeks this is going to be just a temporary phase and this was an error because at the beginning we uh, didn't adjust our uh, teaching to this new kind of uh, learning process. Um, as a consequence, we decided to maintain uh, unaltered uh, the level of productivity, the hours of teaching, the length of the lecture, uh, the timetable, and just some minor adjustments were made on an individual basis to assessment and assignment. Uh, this has had a big impact on uh, uh, the both students and professor level of stress, uh, which has emerged quite um, visibly after the second weeks. And that brought to uh, develop uh, other kind of activities next to the online teaching. There has been some adjustment to... Um, so, so In this kind of activity, we have done some, uh, on, um, there has been some online concerts. So the chorus of the university has provided some music moment and some, uh, uh, as I was saying, sport uh, teaching um, lecture every morning. Um, however, uh, this I think has um, solved one issue, but not everything. Because uh, what I would, um, say to anyone who is listening that is teaching um, you have to consider that your lecture during a quarantine uh, can become a moment of joy of relief of a self-growth a sort of breath for the students some of them have told me that but can become also a burden on them if you don't plan a broad readjustment of your teaching. So what I would suggest, but I mean, I understand that we are all in different position also in the educational environment. Teaching at the university is not the same that teaching at secondary school and primary school. But I would suggest to reflect on uh, downscaling your request and expectation to yourself and to uh, the students um, like for example downscaling the teaching schedule the timetable the workload because it's going to be too hard especially i mean we don't have to consider these as mere virtual learning virtual teaching it's virtual learning during a period of crisis and the two things are totally combined um i also, I will suggest to um, 
for the long run, uh, in terms of the future, although it's difficult for me at the moment to imagine uh, uh, too much in the future because like, I am still in the middle of the storm, uh, I would say there are opportunities and risk in this process. Uh, on the opportunity side, I see um, this experience as a possibility to implement uh, not just a better virtual learning process, but also to experiment with blended uh, teaching, uh, where uh, virtual and, uh, and traditional are combined in a way that gives more flexibility to students in times of uh, flexible work, uh, flexible timetable, but also difficulties of moving, which has always been there. I mean, it's not something that is related just to the quarantine. At the same time, I think that um, there, there are risks. Um, this moment of crisis could also simply increase the inequality between countries and between universities in the possibility of providing education, um, while some university will be able to expand their student base because they have already the technologies to do that, there is a risk for university that are located in uh, countries that has less resources to lose actually students because in this, this could become a competition. I'm kind of struck if, Sorry, I, can, you... if I can just jump in. Yeah, please, please jump um, in, Josh. We, we tend to, to think about the, the, the virus and the crisis kind of binary. You know, like we're in it and then it's going to be over. Um, I think, I, I, I don't see it that way. I think what comes next is going to be fundamentally different. And it's not just about how we use technology in the classroom. Um, a lot of my thinking and my concern in thinking about the future is also around the impact of um, a global economic meltdown, <laughs> which I think is what's gonna happen next. So we're going to deal with the health issues and then we're gonna to have to face a, a significant economic downturn and that downturn itself is going to have a big impact on on the way we operate on our operational budgets on the ability of our students to finance their education in some in some countries so i think we we i don't know just just a thought of this this sort of um everything is going to be different from every imaginable angle moving forward thanks josh and i think that's a really important point for us to just reflect on for a little bit is the economics of what is happening in our world um, and what might blended learning virtual learning a new model of learning um, look like um, especially if we are going to uh, possibly, we're not going to ask students to come to campus so much. Um, one of the big crises in South Africa has been accommodation for students. Um, now, they go from an accommodation crisis to a crisis of students being able to afford uh, technology and data. 
um, but might it be a different kind of crisis and might blended learning be something of a, of a help? Now, colleagues, I'm very aware that we haven't really spoken about how this might um, affect learning at a school level, that our focus has really been on university learning, um, and it's partly because our four speakers um, are from university, um, from um, higher education institutions. Um, but I, I think that as we go into some of the discussion, we can think about, you know, how do there were many teachers in the country who were using Google Classroom and Google Hangout to interact with um, high school and primary school students. But it was a very small, possibly 10%, 15% of the country was able to do that. Um, and so it's really kind of the upper classes and the, and the upper middle classes who were able to do that. So before I hand over to um, Krish, I just want to have a quick um, look at some of the, the, the group chat. One of the questions that came up is, group chat's great, but don't we get distracted and don't students and learners get distracted? And so brilliantly, there was a bit of a distraction going on in the group chat around doesn't 5G cause the coronavirus, right? And so the whole of social media has been exploding over the last few days around that issue. And it's one of those false news um, issues. And so it's been really uh, interesting to see how even in the chat, people have been saying to whoever's been raising those questions, no, it's not, it's, you know, there's a science that says it's not and, and all of that. So there's been a whole nother conversation going on in the group chat around the issue of 5G um, and people in the room, in the Zoom room, have actually been dealing with that with people. So in a sense, um, and then somebody else said, well, um, when you're sitting in a classroom of 30 or 100 or 500 or in South Africa, in a first year psychology class, 800, um, how do you know that everybody's paying attention anyway? Um, and so in a sense, we've, we've had a little experiment here today where there's been a few other conversations that have been going on um, around um, at the same time. Laura, you've made one point around um, the things that we demand of ourselves as educators. And so what the crisis has done, and I think for everybody who's been working from home, we've just taken off the, the level of expectation that we have to do as much as we did when we had no restrictions, no lockdown, when we had access to people, technology, resources. Um, but the other question, and Josh, it goes back to your issue of, in a sense, the, the coming economic meltdown um, is going to allow us to rethink how we uh, do education. It's going to force us to rethink it. But I'm also wondering whether part of what this crisis is doing is to help us think about whether the expectations that we have on learning and assessment and the rate at which we are trying to teach, learn, um, send people through systems, um, maybe that also has to be rethought um, because in a sense we've taken our education system and, and, we, and it's just become kind of, it's, we've put it onto steroids as it were. So in a sense what is happening with the crisis is it's asking us to ask questions of whether how we've always done things is how we ought to be doing it going forward, not just in terms of modalities, but in terms of expectations, in terms of psychological burden, in, in terms of building community around learning and, and all those issues. 
Um, Krish, I'm going to hand over to you now to perhaps just take us through some of the questions and maybe just reflect on some of our discussion. We've been talking for an hour um, and I really would like um, our speakers to have one more chance to kind of come back with a few comments, but perhaps you want to just take us through some of your reflections on where this conversation has gone. Thanks, Krish. Thanks, Charlene. It's such an interesting conversation and there's just so much to say. It's hard to actually just get your focus right and figure out where, where do you begin. Um, one of my takeaway points that uh, I gather from the speakers is uh, the issue of inequality. Um, if you look in the more equal societies, perhaps in the urban areas in China, we've been able to roll out programs in mass and it has been a bit more successful than you might find in relatively more unequal societies that we found in Italy. I think Ilaria and Paolo spoke uh, to, to those challenges. And then if you think of the scale of inequality that you have in that country compared to what we experience here, it really emphasizes the, the scale of the challenge that, that we face here in South Africa. And uh, the, the, the importance of internet access and infrastructure, I think is really critical to help us just um, find our way through this particular crisis. Uh, I was going through the, the questions that, that, that people had and it's at that particular point, it's yes, providing e-learning is good, but how do we provide those learners, those students that are without, without access? That was the burning question that was coming from um, most of our participants today. Um, just to touch on some of the stats uh, that, that I've seen, just to, to contextualize uh, the challenge. Perhaps I can just share my screen. I've got a few numbers in front of me um, that would be valuable. Um, so we're a country uh, based on current estimates of about uh, 58, 59 million, uh, but number of active internet users that we have are about 31 million. Uh, and then individually, uh, we're finding at least 54% of people have access to the internet. And then we've got about 28 or so million uh, people that have access to a device. Uh, but this is not really talking about how often do people actually use these devices. Uh, that's a particular concern. But with the lockdown, uh, something that I think is very important, we also have to look at who has access uh, to the internet in their homes. Um, uh, Charlene mentioned it earlier that many households perhaps only have one device. Perhaps the head of the household has access uh, to a phone, but now this device is perhaps your central means to communicate with your schools and to be able to uh, get some information from your teachers. Um, but you see that is largely con the level of access in the household is largely concentrated am amongst those that are earning above 15,000 Rand a month. Um, those earning less, you have more households in that particular space. Uh, but very few actually have access to the internet. So we need to think creatively, innovatively about how do we actually provide learners um, access to technologies, but also access uh, to the content that's required for their, for their teaching. Um, so I won't go through all of these, but I, I did a quick scan about some of the tools that, that are being made available in South Africa. Uh, the key issue that you've got to think about is what, which tools are providing access free of charge. Um, so there's the Moyo Messenger app, which uh, is allowing the students to work with texting and group chats. Uh, there's CareUp, uh, which is being targeted to preschool learners, 
the Khan Academy has now been made uh, freely available and has been zero rated. Our uh, Vodacom is offering an eSchool school portal, which has been uh, freely made available uh, through their platform if you have a, a Vodacom SIM. Uh, so, so various initiatives that are here. I'll distribute these slides so that people can get access uh, uh, to this to just to, to find where to go to find certain things. Um, if you look at our universities, um, many of them are negotiating with uh, internet service providers presently to try and zero rate this. As far as I'm aware, WITS has taken the lead and their WITS e-platform uh, is now available uh, freely on Vodacom, MTN and Telcom. Others are following up. Uh, checking in with their learners to see uh, what sorts of uh, connectivity do they have? Do they actually have access to electricity? What sort of devices do they have? Do they have Wi-Fi connections? Um, so, so these are the important um, efforts that have been made at uh, the university level. Um, then I'd just like to touch on a few other examples that I'm starting to see in Africa and around the world. It's that point about how do you make uh, information and content available free of charge. Uh, Egypt has centralized a digital platform to connect all their teachers and learners, and then they have one provider who's then offering remote instruction, uh, but also looking to provide SIM cards to learners um, uh, who have some device to be able to get onto uh, the internet and then find this information. Kenya is looking at providing or delivering content by radio or TV or on YouTube. I think in uh, KZN as well, there's an effort to try and uh, broadcast um, teaching over the radio, uh, one of our provinces here in South Africa. Um, in Uganda, there was an interesting project led by Arizona State University where they were distributing solar-powered backpacks, which have a little device in it where you can, uh, where information has been loaded on, which can then be provided to students. Uh, and then the, the World Bank has also introduced a project where they were distributing low-cost e-readers where the information was loaded on there. That's a means to uh, provide information, but it's got a heavy infrastructure cost to it. Um, uh, Telcom has gone about zero rating several platforms which will be useful for students. I think people should be familiar with this information. Um, the, the Western Cape Department has also provided uh, quite a lot of the Western Cape Department has also started identifying where, uh, Western Cape Education Department has started identifying where you can start to find some free resources. So I think people need to look this up and try to see what's available there. Um, um, various platforms which are now becoming available, which would be useful. Um, and then internationally, there's a few uh, resources that people could look at. Apple is making available audio books for free. Um, Amazon is doing uh, something similar. The Internet Archive has started releasing books uh, online. And on Coursera, there's quite a few courses that that would be useful. So many uh, initiatives um, which are out there that, that people can access. I'll distribute these slides uh, just so um, people can start to find information that I think is quite relevant to them. Yeah. So, Chris, two comments um, in the, the chat room while you were speaking, and the one is um, access for TVET. So, a TVET is a technical and vocational education and training college, um, and it's, uh, I suppose, yeah, it's a technical college 
um, that has fewer young people who access that than the universities in South Africa, um, but it's a, it's, it's a growing sector. So um, what are the resources available for TVETs and TVET access? And then the other thing that came up is, as you were showing the slide about which universities are making e-learning available um, online, the gap, of course, is the historically black universities. There was nothing from Forte, there was nothing from the University of Limpopo, there was nothing from DUT, from CPUT. So in, in a sense, what that slide also helped us to see that the universities that are already well resourced are the ones that took the lead in making um, resources available for free, and those who have been historically marginalized and historically under-resourced continue now to not make resources available for students. So that's a very big takeaway, right, just from, um, from that piece. The second comment is from um, Kuleleko Makuba, um, who refers us to a paper um, around um, online teaching um, that happened in response to the student protests in 2015 and 2016 and how students had um, mixed feelings but were fairly negative about online learning because of a lack of accountability, um, because uh, academics felt that students required too much personal attention, that there was less engagement. And um, I would be very interested to know whether we had to repeat that study after the coronavirus pandemic, um, whether students would have the same reaction. Because in one sense, the student protest was kind of, um, I think there were people who were saying, well, now I have to suffer because of what other people are doing and what people are protesting about. Whereas in this corona in, um, uh, pandemic, what's happening is we're all in the same boat. It's we all in this place where we have to do virtual blended learning. So I'm really interested to know whether that would make a difference going forward. Yeah. So colleagues, it's, um, we've still got some time and what I really would like to do is to take some questions and perhaps you can direct your question to either Ilaria or to Paolo or to Josh um, or to Peter. Um, and Chris, you need to just give us a hand here and ask people to put their hand up and then perhaps you can just unmute their mic for them and, and, and allow them to ask their question. There's a question from Joy Mayer. Um, hi, it's um, more a comment than a question. Uh, um, I'm a PhD researcher at the Northwest University, and this is actually my first year as a student assistant at the education department. So it's been quite interesting, my first experience of teaching on a tertiary level now, actually, goes totally online. But I also want to um, recommend Facebook groups as a source of also like, teaching. Because um, you can access text on Facebook for free without using any data on your cellular device. I know for Vodacom, it's, it's the case. And also, um, I tried it out, and it's actually really great. So if you have any tips that you want to share with your students, I can also recommend Facebook groups. And yeah, I know it's a challenge, like especially the book year students, not everybody has internet access. So I know we have, we have quite a challenge ahead but I think we can we must be creative and yeah and make the best of the situation and I um, just want to thank you all for the platform it's quite interesting to hear different perspectives on the matter and also that you know inequality and it's not only unfortunately not only a South African issue 
And I do hope when we think about the new normal after this, that we can really think about how how we're going to go and address maybe change systems where we can, yeah, I think we need to change our normal quite a lot and being in lockdown makes me really think about that. But anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that um, we can really, um, we can really explore Facebook groups, right? And especially if you, if you, um, if your settings is on social learning, you can actually make units and, you know, incorporate that with your study units and, and things like that. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> Thank you, and yeah, good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you, Jessica. I, I couldn't find any way to raise my hand. Do you mind if I ask a question? I don't see the link to raise my hand. Krish, go ahead. I can't see who's asking the question. Okay, I'm, I'm just asking any of the panelists. Can you please um, inform us how did you deal with uh, quality assurance in terms of online learning? Because uh, 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 Madam Pete said you have to scale down on your requirements on the students and I think that has been mentioned in another CTL uh, lecture that I attended about two days ago. So I agree with that 100%. But how did you deal with um, quality assurance, test exams, quiz assignments, when students Great. have to do it online? Okay. Please just tell us your name. Prof. Matutu, Mafiken Campus, Northwest University. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Prof. Mututu. Um, there's another question that's in the chat room that I'm going to ask the um, panelists also to ask, answer, and that is most of the discussions currently assume that we are working with highly motivated and independent learners. Um, we are not. How are we going to address this issue from Renell Evans? So if you could take that as another question, and let's take one more question and then go back to the panelists. There's a question from Nora. Um, yes, hi, thank you. Can you hear me? Yes, go ahead. Clearly. Okay, excellent. So I'm Nora from the Energy and Water CETA. And, uh, you know, my questions have been a lot around vocational training, but it's fine. I'll, I'll maybe ask other people in the vocational space. But my question is, you know, if we look at a national context and writing policies for e-learning, which is totally new for us, we also have to cater for disabled students, um, you know, and that is a totally different level of kind of access issue and not just technology, because technology, you throw money in it and hopefully you can solve it, you know, but disability. So I was wondering if any of the university lecturers have experience with bridging some of those issues or have come across programs that deal with that. Um, that's, thank you very much. Great, thank you very much, Nora. Um, Josh, Paolo, Ilaria, um, um, or, or Peter, please won't you take either of those questions and, and respond to them? I start. Uh, Go ahead, Ilaria. As you prefer. Okay. So, I go. 
Uh, I try to answer to the three questions very briefly uh, about the quality and the test. Um, as I was saying, I'm aware I'm speaking from uh, a privileged condition of the university professor that has a, bit, a little bit more freedom of deciding the programs in primary and secondary school teacher. Um, so uh, what we have uh, done is to, I mean, at least discussing with some colleagues, this is nothing, um, this is not a program of the university, but it's just a confrontation that we have gone through uh, with some colleague is to identify uh, some uh, uh, key, uh, and I'm, I teach gender studies and sociology, so we have identified some key topics that needed to be there um, and that are still uh, examined in the final exam, while we have left many other topics to, I mean, left the students to develop other topics through like, for example, essay or short um, presentation in a more, uh, let's say, uh, autonomous, um, autonomous mode. And we help them in exploring those projects. So for example, they decide a topic for an essay and they uh, ask us for support instead of um, traditional teaching and traditional examining on a part of the program. Uh, then concerning the motivation, that's a uh, interesting things because I would say that um, at least for my classroom, what I've seen is a mixed effect of the virtual teaching. On the one hand, it has um, yeah, a polar, it has created a polarization. So some students are even more participating in lecture because probably the anonymity of the chat let them uh, express more, and some other no. Uh, some students are writing. More, I mean, I I, um, I see that they are uh, writing tons of emails. Uh, because they are interested in exploring more the concept that we teach. And the problem is that there is a part of the classroom that never show up, never show up in, uh, in, in the virtual room. Uh, so I don't have a solution on that and, and it's something I am uh, thinking of. What I'm doing uh, is also to record and upload the... Um, the recording of my lecture on the uh, online platform of the university uh, because I assume that maybe people that would not attend the class could decide to do that in another moment. Um, for sure, I'm trying to keep the dialogue as much as possible open with the students so to uh, tell them constantly that if they need, they can uh, uh, speak with me, they can call me or they can uh, send the email because it seems that, um, yeah, a way to assure they don't self-isolate themselves. Concerning disabled, disabled students, uh, I am not aware of a specific programs of the university, um, but I'm sure probably there has been. Um, for my experience, I have had just a, um, a students that um, had some issues with, uh, um, so like the the final examination in my exam is an essay, a final essay. The essay that has problem with um, 
sorry, I missed the word in English, but um, um, some has difficulties in writing. Uh, and so uh, we decided to have the exam through a presentation uh, and you will present the essay. The thing is that you need to be extremely flexible and it will require a lot of effort. Flexibility becomes the rule, at least in the middle of the crisis. Okay. Thanks, Solaria. Uh, Peter, over to you next. Um. I wanted to say something, this question of disability, I think it's hugely important uh, from my own experience actually, uh, that I ha have had uh, disabled, what is called disabled people uh, in the classroom and uh, using not e-learning but modern technology uh, had been really a huge opportunity in terms of uh, giving them access on the one hand but as well in terms of community building. Uh, this was a deaf-mute person and actually other students started to learn uh, sign language. And I think this is, uh, in terms of blending uh, what Yara said, uh, very important and, and much appreciated if students uh, see what is actually the effect what I'm doing. It's not having a, a general course on disability and accessibility or something, but it is on uh, experiencing what it means. And I think one aspect that we did not talk about uh, yet is it is not only learning teaching that is changing, but it is the entire economy. I talked yesterday to Chris um, a little bit about uh, as well the new technology used in terms of the economic development. Uh, now, very critical uh, sharing economy, platform economies, and, and, and. And this is, I think, something where we have to think about including this change, the economic change, in uh, the way of teaching, in the way of learning, and at the same time influencing uh, the or securing the rights in uh, the, these new developments. Because if, if I look at sharing economy today, in many cases you do not have any rights, uh, you are just more uh, due, uh, subdued to, to, to the employer or whatever who is not your employer but uh, provides a platform. Uh, all these things have to be addressed and this is something where uh, I think this is as well a matter of uh, blending, but as well as practice learning. Um, you have in South Africa apparently these, these law clinics, uh, I'm talking for, for one specific areas, but where, where students are involved in concrete cases in developing in practice what law is about. Now, this is a specific uh, part of law, uh, but I think this is as well very important in terms of blending. I would miss a, a third part, actually. Uh, this is on the one hand, you have the traditional learning and you have e-learning, but as well then to, to blend it in a way of uh, how can we make it useful for um, for students, that they experience immediately what it means to learn. And this is uh, a problem of traditional learning as well, I think, 
uh, where we, we are standing in front of the classroom doing something, talking, uh, but not allowing people to, uh, to, to get included with their own experience. Uh, a final remark on the, um, on the quality assurance. Uh, now, as I said, I, I did this before, and this is what I mentioned as, an, as a danger uh, of many of these platforms, learning platforms that are uh, offered. They are very much standardizing uh, the quality issue. So uh, their flexibility had been mentioned before. Uh, flexibility is really required in terms as well Quality is not about a certain quantifiable standard, but it is about quality. And we cannot put quality into figures. It is at least extremely difficult. And there I think the platforms have to learn as well to provide services for those who are using them. Because I use Moodle and I use Blackboard, uh, there are there, there are software engineers or something doing a perfect job, but not having any idea what what learning is about for students. Why they are, or why they are not interested in what we are doing. Um, that's some ideas from my side. Sorry, um, uh, Paula or. Um Josh, would you like to jump in? Uh, maybe better Josh before. Josh? Yeah. I think nothing in particular to add to what my, my colleagues... Uh, so one of the questions that I'm, again, looking at the chat room, um, um, there were some questions around um, did you find that students were more stressed, less stressed, or anxious around online learning um, and virtual learning? So that may be something you want to um, deal with, um, Josh. And then everybody had a very practical question, and maybe, uh, Elora, you need to answer it. But who, paid for your, who pays for your data, right? Is that something that the university pays for or you pay for? Um, and then I think there was one more question um oh about apps from china like what were some of the apps that are being used that were helpful um that you know we we might know about i think you answered that online um josh but maybe a, a couple of comments about that mm. oh and then nora nora's question about practicals i think that's really helpful if you're at a, a technical vocational college or if you're in the sciences you know what are, what have we been doing around laboratories you know, you can't really dissect a, sorry, a frog or whatever it is that we do in medicine and, and whatnot. Um, so, and the law clinic is an issue, but what about prex? How do you do prex in a virtual environment? Some of those questions, any of those questions, Josh? Yeah. Um, all right, let me take, take, a, take a stab at some of those. As far as stress around new learning environment and this move to online, I mean, you know, the China context, um, not everyone had experience with online learning uh, in the higher education um, space. And I guess some of the stress comes around a great deal of pressure that the Chinese education system places on students. Um, 
I think what we found is that there, there were definitely um, two camps. There was the camp that was, you know, I hate this, make this go away. And there was the camp that was, this is a wonderful evolution, give me more of this. I, um, I, I, and I think there's no real way to predict what's going to happen because it's a lot about individual experience and individual preferences within specific courses and material and how easy that is to translate into the virtual, the virtual environment. Um, and I think we, we're going to, it's going to be interesting here because, you know, we'll see in a matter of a couple of weeks what the end result is because we're going to reopen again. So, you know, we'll see now the transition back into the traditional learning space and what will the students be demanding more or less of. Um, the, the apps that we used in China, um, I mean, WeChat is the sort of ubiquitous uh, app that you use for everything. And WeChat did come into play both in an informal and formal context. There were, there were many programs that were developed for learning, but the informal space was people creating groups of learners, classes um, to really facilitate the engagement. Along with Alibaba has a video conferencing app called DingTalk, uh, which we adapted, we adopted at the university across all of our, our, our programs. Um, and I think we didn't have um, any significant issues with uh, connectivity, with broadband, with server space. Um, we had you know, pretty much the whole country online at the same time from primary through university uh, and didn't seem to have, at least we didn't hear about uh, any significant um, platform issues or, or broadband issues. Including in the rural areas, Josh? I mean, I'm assuming that some of your students go, come and live on campus and then they go home and home can be a city, but it also could be in the countryside. You know, again, it's a lot about what do we hear. Um, access to information is what it is in China. Um, you know, I haven't, see, I haven't seen anything from our university perspective or on, you know, some of the various chats going around that there were any, any significant issues. One of, one of the anecdotal things I would say is uh, the, the teenage kid that I know across the street um, really seems to have taken a liking to the online environment because I would always ask him, so, you know, how is school today? And I would get the, the sort of 13-year-old who, you know, school awful. Moving online, it was, oh, this is great. I can work from home. You know, I don't have to. <laughs> Thing that happens in school. There was a, you know, very anecdotal. Uh, yeah. Random, I don't have to worry about what I'm wearing, right? <laughs> <laughs> was, really got into it, really enjoyed the freedom of it. Yeah. Uh, Chris, you want to, thanks, Josh. Chris, you want to say something about TVET? Uh, yes, Charlene. I just want to note that Paulo's raised his hand physically, so you might not notice it in the participant window. I don't know where his hand is. Put it like that. 
Okay, um, well, no, I want to, I'm not talking exactly about the, the, the learning because it's not my field, but I have been hearing around. Uh, meanwhile, Ilaria, which is representing one of the best universities in Italy and one of the oldest, so with strong tradition, I see that around there are big troubles for these uh, younger, for the very primary school and from the small ones, because they were having in the school a very strong social contact with the teacher, and uh, they are not. Uh, uh, they need to 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 be supported really in the e-learning, because it's not existing specific programs from the very small children, and this is very important that they're learning now, because if not after they will find not prepared because this e-learning will go on. I don't believe that we will go back exactly, completely to the old traditional way. So I think a big effort must be done in preparing specific programs or uh, ways of uh, teaching to the small children, because not only just playing home, they have, uh, they want to have their social moment with other kids and, and play like that. That is the first thing that I put the attention to those who are expert in the field. Second thing that I've been seeing all around that these uh, three weeks of forced uh, containment in Spain and in Italy, in our countries, that is making people to go on the computer and access uh, to the libraries, because now in our countries, most of the big libraries they're getting for free. Well, I think that people are part of uh, filling up with looking at movies and like this and like that. They're starting to think a little bit more than before, they're just going down to the coffee shop to take a beer or like that. They're starting to reflect. And I think this is something very, very important because I think that we'll never be, or at least I hope so, that we are many powers or many interests that we go back to the status quo before. I think this will be very, very difficult. I think it will be an after, before coronavirus and after coronavirus. Not only because uh, the different way of living in three weeks makes people discover uh, communicating on the internet and getting access to more information. I'm not talking only for the students, for everyone. But the economic impact of this crisis will be very, very long. So the uh, average income will be lower. I don't know in uh, emerging countries, but surely in uh, the Western world is going to a downgrading, so people is not going uh, to change. Uh, they, they will not be able to go anymore, just going around the locals, the flies, this and that. So uh, they will not go back commuting every day with the car uh, if they can avoid it. So I think this would take a profound change in the entire economic situation, and this will be reflected also very much on the e-learning become one of the traditional habits in every family. So I think that uh, we have to start from the small one to teach them how to live, how to face this new uh, technological world. That is not only a matter of having all internet or having all the mobile or the uh, solar uh, backpack or like that. That is the way that they have really to be supported in changing approach and mentality. Great, thank you very much, Paolo. Um, Krish, a comment about TVITS I think you want to make? 
yes, thanks, Charlene. Um, a quick one in my slides as I was going through it, there was a point that I mentioned uh, about Telcom had started zero rating certain uh, web pages. Many of those that were included there was the the, the TVET uh, site. So the, the, those colleges are actually listed amongst the the, the, the the free resources that Telcom is provided, but you'd have to have a Telcom uh, internet connection to be able to get that freely. The question is the quality of the 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 resources that are made available uh, through those websites uh, is questionable and also the mode uh, that they engage uh, with the learners that uh, I think that needs to be worked on. If you compare perhaps a WITS uh, uh, site where there's created platforms, they've created forums for for, for learners to, to uh, students to work with uh, their lectures, uh, we might not have that same sort of digital infrastructure uh, at the college level. Um, then on the, an additional point on TVETs is also about um, when we engage with that practical forms uh, of work, we really need more innovations to be introduced. Josh spoke about it earlier where we, there, there's, there's opportunities to introduce uh, virtual technologies and AI perhaps as a way to simulate uh, certain conditions. Uh, but, but we need to think about how do we actually create that. And then if it's gonna be, uh, consuming such a high level of resources, how do we make those sorts of resources available uh, to, to our people? It's almost now, it's that vocational work is more intensive perhaps uh, to get to grips with when you're doing that uh, remotely. And then uh, just a final point I'd like to make is about teachers. I think Paolo spoke about it, that uh, the, the learners perhaps are more prepared than the teachers uh, to, to adopt uh, remote learning. My wife uh, is a teacher, and in the, the past week, she's been experimenting with new forms of technology, trying to figure out, should I use a PowerPoint and embed uh, sound in it? Should I be uh, recording videos? Should I be holding Zoom meetings? How do I ensure that my students are actually attending the programs that I have? So it's chopping and changing and doing different things for different classes, recognizing what your, your students actually respond to. Uh, but a key point here is when we're providing support um, in the country, we're, we're talking about providing students data access, providing students resources, providing students training. We need to be doing the same for the teachers because in many instances, teachers now carry the burden to uh, have that connection with their students and to ensure, ensure that the syllabus continues and that we're making progress. Um, so we, we really need to be supporting our teachers to a much uh, stronger extent, I think. Thanks. Right. <clears throat> so, colleagues, it's um, it's five past twelve, and we said we would uh, go on until twelve o'clock. So, we a few minutes over. Um, I want to ask you just to do one thing. Um, over this conversation that we've had, we've we've heard from um, Ilaria and from Paolo um, about the Italian context. We've we've heard from uh, Josh and Peter about what's been going on in China. Um, uh, we've heard from Krish about what's going on in the South African context in terms of resources. What has been the takeaway for you? Um, and the, the best way that I can ask you to make that input is to just put it onto the chat, right? So at the bottom of your page, there's the chat if you haven't been using it. But what might be the way forward to a conversation like we've had today? What's the, the surprising takeaway? What's the thing that you, you thought, you know, that was the conclusion that we 
probably would have come to. Um, what's the, the next step in your understanding? Why don't you take a minute just to do that before I thank everybody and, and conclude? Um, because that will be really helpful for us um, in thinking about what it is that we do in this conversation in South Africa. So I'm going to ask you just to do that, if you don't mind, for a, a minute. And if you've got, of course, if you've got some other questions that you might want answered, um, Chris and I will just be chatting about how we take um, this forward. And I know that we'll also look at those questions that we haven't um, been able to answer. Um, and I think that'll be really important too. Um, as we wrap up, I would like to thank Eloria and Peter and Josh and Paula really very much. Um, and maybe just ask them to just say one thing as we as we conclude. And then I'm going to, um, yeah, let's do that, if you don't mind. And then I'm going to say thank you and ask everybody to put their cameras and their mics on so we can give them a round of applause. But let's first have just a closing comment. And maybe your own takeaway, um, Ilaria, Josh, Peter, and, and Paula. Um, Ilaria, let me start with you. Oh, okay. So, um, I mean, I, I was just reflecting on uh, and uh, reacting to Krish, for example, presentation uh, concerning, for example, the zero, um, the zero cost pages, which is something that, for example, in Italy, I'm not aware has been implemented, that, but that's something that we could yeah. learn too. And so, uh, I mean, I'm... Uh, the only thing is that I would like to keep on this dialogue because, uh, for example, some of these solutions that have been found in um, South Africa, but not just only in, in the African countries that uh, Krish was mentioning, could be useful for us to um, and could be aware to bridge the gap between our students too, which are not probably, I mean, the inequality is probably lower, but they exist also here. So thank you. Thanks very much, Eloria. Uh, Peter, a closing comment from you? Well, I think the, the, the really important point is continue the, the debate. We are all at the beginning and uh, we have to be critical as well. We, we see the, uh, the advantages or we, we want to see the advantages. And this had been uh, mentioned by one of the colleagues. Uh, students are keen, now they can uh, do it at home and, and they have more leisure time and, and there are 24 hours available. And this is the other side. And this is the same, of, uh, same problem for us. Uh, there is a huge danger at least that we are required to be 24 hours available. Uh, I did in different uh, contexts supervision on an uh, email uh, basis, so it's not the modern technology in a way, uh, but this was more work than meeting the students, these have been PhD students, uh, I don't know, once per week or uh, uh, once per month whatsoever. Uh, this is a huge challenge to secure the rights 
there was a question as well of uh, placement uh, that, that uh, the, the time was getting too short. Um, maintaining the rights or uh, is establishing the rights and at the same time being flexible, but flexible not in terms or not in the interest uh, of, of the system, I say, but in, in, in terms of uh, those who are really involved. And this is the students, that's always my main concern, and it is ourselves as teachers. And again, maintain the debate, uh, have it focused on specific areas, and I'm really grateful that I could uh, participate. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. Um, Paolo? Yeah, well, I think that, uh, first of all, like the other webinars that for me, something really new because it was the first time in many, many years that I'm using this. We have to keep on uh, the the webinar. We will try to have a, um, a web a web platform in which we can can go on uh, discussing about uh, these things. And like Ilaria said, is interesting to hear the experiences all around the world. Because, for example, uh, what has been doing in uh, e-banking in Africa. There are some programs that were developed in Kenya or other countries that have been finding being very easy, very successful, and they want they should be exported all around the world. But okay, the traditional banks they don't want it. So I think we have to be open to receive all the ideas and indications that we're getting, and depending on the e-learning, I think, uh, like uh, Peter was saying, is very important that we. Uh, is, uh, is offering a lot of uh, possibilities, but is, is uh, necessary to have rules, to have, uh, and I think that anyway, also we're going back after this coronavirus uh, emergency to find a mixed uh, system between e-learning and physical, because I think it's necessary always that is a, check, uh, a direct contact between the teachers and the students. Thanks very much, Paolo. And Josh? Maybe two things come to mind, if I may. Um, the first is I'm, I'm reflecting on the unique situation where everyone in the world is roughly going through the same thing at more or less the same time. So I think um, this is a, a, unfortunately an opportunity where we really create um, uh, the, the, the platform to talk about shared experiences. The, the second thing is um, this is also a unique opportunity to innovate. Innovation comes um, not only when an individual has a great idea or, or an organization has an idea. Innovation can be sparked by this huge massive crisis that we're all going through and that we're all needing to find solutions to. So I would, I would encourage everyone to think about how you can innovate in your own situation, whether it's your personal situation, your professional situation. Now is the time where everyone is having to deal with everything changing all at once. That is the time to innovate. So take advantage of this moment uh, to ask the hard questions, um, to put the new ideas on the table and say, look, we have to do things differently. Let's do it now. 
and go for it. Great, thanks very much, uh, Josh. Krish, uh, a, a last comment? Um, just, to, just to thank everybody, I've been, it's been a really stimulating conversation. We've got so much that we've got to, to learn. I'd like to echo Josh's sentiments that the time is now for innovation, so new ideas uh, would be most appreciated. And it would be great to continue this, uh, build upon this community that we, we've started here and for us to, to work closely together. Uh, we'll work on uh, putting this information online on YouTube so more people can get access to this. And I'd love to be able to stay in contact with everyone and just see how we can collaborate and work together in the future. So for me, um, the, the final closing comment is, um, I've been again looking at the chats and people are saying, we really mustn't lose the fact that education is not about information. And I think I want to agree with everybody 100% on that. I remember reading a quote by Palmer when I was, I don't know, 17 years old that said, to teach is to create a space in which, in his case, he was saying obedience to truth can be practiced. Um, but I think the key part of that quotation is to create a space. And whether that space is face-to-face, -face, whether it's virtual, whether it's a mixture of both, whether it's about the, the, practice, the praxis, whether it's about the information, whether it's about the community around education, that's the moment, I think, in which we are finding ourselves. That we are at a, we're in a place now where it's going to be us as both academics and as practitioners to create a new space in which learning can happen, in which education can happen, and I think that's an exciting space. I would like you to put your mics on and put your videos on for a second. You'll see that there are a hundred and so or so of us, and I'd like to join you to join me, giving our speakers a um, just a round of applause. It'll be noisy and it'll be. Um, mm -hmm. and let's do that anyway.